Uh, one day we'll get out of chapter 1. I'm not sure when that's going to be. Uh, but uh, there's so much here. Uh, it's uh, Last week we looked at the, the doctrine of adoption. And uh, we want to understand one thing, and that all of these doctrines are connected. And uh, they, they're all important, and they're all... Uh, weave together in some way, and and so it's it's hard to take a doctrine without mentioning another doctrine that connects to it. So uh, if I repeat myself, you'll know why, because uh, uh, it's all connected to our position that we have in Christ. We need to understand our position in Christ. Uh, that God, as adopted children, is our Father. And we saw from Romans 11.36, it talks about all things are from Him, and through Him, and to Him. And I won't go through that, but that means adoption. That means everything. All things are from Him. And of course, He gets all the, all the praise and all the glory, because that verse in Romans ends with... Uh, to God be the glory. And we forget that sometimes, but we shouldn't, because it's all about Him. And that's kind of my life saying, and I hope you don't get tired of hearing it, because it's, it is true. And we're adopted, and He loves us as much as He loves His own Son. And that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty big. Uh, we are His children, and... and Need to imitate the Father who is perfect, and we we're we're to be perfect even though we fail. But God delights to hear from His children, as any parent loves to hear from their ch- children or grandchildren. And and I mean, I just melts my heart when uh, one of my girls will say, "Daddy, I love you." It still affects me, and that's what God wants to hear from you: is "Daddy, I love you." And uh, he delights to hear you say that and uh, to tell him, you're always good to me, always good to me. Uh, he gives us what we need, not what we want. I mean, kids, what would they eat every day if they were allowed to? Cotton candy for breakfast, cotton candy for lunch, cotton candy for supper, because that's what they want. But parents know that's not what they need. So God knows our needs. And he meets our needs in his way and time. And so we found in Isaiah 62, 5, God rejoices over us. That's huge, is it not? The creator of the universe rejoices over me, a speck. Uh, And we can come now boldly before the throne of grace. And I want to talk about that throne of grace This morning, in Hebrews 4, 15, and 16, says we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. And he says, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to what? The throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help. In time of need. Uh, by the way, I think Paul wrote Hebrews 
we'll discuss that as Andrew gets into Hebrews, but uh, there's so many things there that, that point to that. But this morning, I want us to look at verse 6 of Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, it says in verse 6, it says, uh, well, let's go back to verse 5, even though this, from remember, from uh, verse 3 to 14 in the Greek is one sentence, uh, uh, it's a mouthful, but... Uh, it's the longest sentence in, in the New Testament. But he says here, He predestined us to adoption as sons, we looked at through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. And then this, I want to say, to the praise of the glory of his grace. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Paul says, and he really understood what this means probably more than any man that's, that's ever lived. Uh, to the praise of his glorious praise. You know, some words uh, we talk about so much. Our, our church is named Grace Bible Church. And we talk about God's grace, God's grace, God's grace. Uh, we sing uh, Amazing Grace, which is, by the way, a wonderful hymn. I love singing that. But, you know, you can sometimes just be so familiar with the word grace, it just kind of goes right past you. But it didn't to Paul. He understood grace. And he's, he's saying here to us, what does he say? To the praise of the glory of his grace. Wow, that's pretty big. We find this grace 12 times in, in uh, Ephesians. Uh, and of course, one of the... <clears throat> great principles of the Reformation was grace alone. We're saved by grace alone. Through faith, but by grace alone. Alone. Grace alone. Okay, I want everybody just to let that sink in. Grace alone. And, uh, but a threat came to the gospel in uh, the 5th century through a man called Pelagius. And uh, he was a philosopher uh, slash theologian who rejected the consequences of total depravity. And, of course, teaches that in uh, Adam's fall, we all sinned, we all fell. Pelagius denied the doctrine of original sin. He taught man is capable of doing good works that please God, and satisfies God. He denied the fall of Adam and Eve, corrupting the entire human race. And he taught every baby that's born is born in the same condition that Adam and Eve were in the garden before the fall without sin. And uh, so, hypothetically, a baby could live his entire life without sinning, which, of course, we... No, couldn't happen, but that's what he, he taught. And, uh, and I guess a child, if he never sinned, could go to heaven because he wouldn't need a Savior because he was sinless. Uh, so anyway, you get into a whole lot of doctrinal uh, debates during that time in the early church. But of course, we know every baby is born in sin. All you have to do is be around one about <laughs> 10 minutes and you'll know that... Uh, uh, they they are sinners, and uh, 
But anyway, that, uh, that is huge when we, we discuss this whole doctrine of grace. Uh, and uh, they taught, Pelagius taught, that everyone has the willpower within themselves to believe the gospel. And again, now this was a heretic. And it's amazing how heresy can slip into the church and not even be recognized. And that it was condemned in the early church, a lot of these teachings, and yet they have held on. And uh, does that mean that you have to believe everything that I'm telling you to be a Christian? And let me say right up front, no. We can can differ on certain doctrines, and because I hold one thing doesn't make me a better Christian than you. Okay, I want everybody to understand that. In other words, what did Paul say? You can have all knowledge, all knowledge. You can know every doctrinal truth in here and still be lost. Okay, so don't think that because I hold a certain thing that uh, I'm right. Uh, I'm sure when we stand before God, I'm going to say, whoo, I was really wrong about that. And uh, we all will because uh, we're, we're sinners and we need the, the wooing power of the Holy Spirit to, uh, to obey God's law and to keep it. And, uh, but I've even had people, Christians I know, who believe this and said uh, uh, that children were born innocent. And I said, well, what do you do with David who said, in sin, my mother conceived me. Oh, he said, that's easy. The mother was a sinner. In sin, my mother can. In other words, my mother was a sinner. She can see me, but he's not saying I'm a sinner. Oh, wow. That's interesting uh, interpretation. And so uh, he was debated by Augustine. Pelagius was in the 5th century. And Augustine said that man's will is so corrupted by sin that no one has the ability to keep the law, to come to Christ on their own. No one has the ability to believe the gospel on their own. That man is totally depraved. Man is not just a little sick. He's not just a little fallen. Because uh, we're to believe with our heart. What is the heart in the Greek? It's the seed of your mind, your emotions, and your will. You see, your will is fallen. But... It's, a, it, it's interesting that people don't like that. They don't like to hear that. Why? Because they want to be in control. I came to Christ and I can leave Christ, which is consistent, by the way, because you don't lose your free will when you come to Christ. Right? No, if you came to Christ on your own free will, then you don't lose your free will. You can also leave him. And so I would have to say with Wesley and others, they were being consistent in holding that. Think it through. I mean, you know, again, if you don't hold to this, peace. Just, just pray, God, speak to me, show me the truth. Because Paul here is saying, praise his glorious grace that I had nothing to do with. Didn't come from me. Why? I'm, as we'll see in chapter 2, see, we've just begun this. I am 
dead in my trespasses and sin. All of me is dead, dead. And dead means dead, by the way. It's not mostly dead. Uh, but no, it means dead. But we like to hold on. We like to hold on and not give God the glory in everything. And so uh, then came along semi-Pelagianism uh, that acknowledged the fall of Adam as affecting us uh, in the human nature and that indeed we're corrupted by sin, but not so corrupted that we cannot reach out to God. That's semi-Pelagianism because the power to do so is within us. And uh, by grace, they meant grace is God giving you a little boost to do that which you know is right. I don't find that in Scripture, getting a little boost. Uh, I see a radical uh, conversion uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. That happened in my life anyway. And so... In other words, we can kind of boil this down to a saying that I don't like much, and that is that God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who help themselves. No, God helps those who can't help themselves. See, there's a great difference there. God helps those who don't have the power to help themselves. And now don't misunderstand me. It doesn't mean then that we're not to work and strive and and, uh, but in this sense, no, we can't help ourselves. Why? We're dead in our trespasses and sins. This is tough stuff. It's tough stuff. And it's been debated for centuries. It'll go on being debated. And one day when we get into heaven, we're going to say, whoa, it's even greater than I thought it was. See, that's what we're going to find out. Is It was so much of grace. Paul is pouring this out here, but... When we get to heaven, we're going to go, my gosh, grace, it's all of grace. Because it is. Don't cling to some decision you made. Oh, I'm saved because I made this decision. I'm not saying you shouldn't make a decision either. But cling to Christ, not to your decision. See the difference? Cling to Christ. He is your Savior. He is your Lord. It's about Him. It's not about you who make a decision. No, you made a decision because He worked in you to draw you to Himself. Jesus said, all that the Father hath given to me, given to me, will come to me. You see. And so give Him the glory and the praise. So what is real grace? And uh, this is important. What is then real grace? What I think really... Paul is teaching here. Because if you don't understand real grace, then you can't really praise correctly. See, because he's, Paul is saying, praise his glorious grace. It's glorious. It's so much more glorious than we can ever imagine. But Paul really understood grace. Let me make that clear. So anyway, divine grace is a perfection of the divine character which is exercised only towards the chosen. Another definition, grace is the sole source from which flows the goodwill, love, and salvation of God unto his chosen people. 
Abraham Booth, who started the Salvation Army, said this. It is the eternal and absolute free favor of God manifested in the condescending of God to grant spiritual and eternal blessings to the guilty and unworthy. Another definition, divine grace is the sovereign and saving favor of God exercised in the uh, bestowment of blessings upon those who have no merit in them and for which no compensation is demanded from them. Grace can neither be bought, earned, or won by the creature. If it could be, it would cease to be grace. It comes to us as pure charity and at first unasked and undeserved. What does Paul say in Romans 11? If it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Pretty, pretty well put, I would say. And so, <clears throat> it is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, yes. But even the faith is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. You don't conjure up faith. I believe because God worked in me to believe. And again, he gets all the glory. But we're really saved, not by our faith. What saves us is the grace of God. The one who saves us is God. It's, it's, it's a glorious grace. And uh, uh, he gets all the glory for that. Uh, it's the absolute favor of God can no more consist with human merit than oil and water fusing into one. In other words, I've been good. God owes me. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. So in other words, we're all due salvation, right? Because we're such good people. No, but to the one who does not work, but believes in him, and this is how salvation is, is received, believes in him who justifies the good people, no, the ungodly. His faith is credited as righteousness. In other words, God does not owe me. It's by his grace you have been saved. There are three characteristics of divine grace. First of all, it's eternal It was planned before it was exercised, purposed before it was imparted. That's why it is grace. We went through 2 Timothy already, but he says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us, it was granted us, not because we were smart and saw it. No, it was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Imagine that, from all eternity. It's eternal. It's eternal. Also, it is free. It is free. For none ever did purchase it. It is free. Being justified, what? 
freely by his grace, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. It's a gift of his, the gift of his grace. It's, it's a gift. In other words, God was free not to be gracious. You have to understand that it was freely by his grace. He didn't have to be gracious. You've got to see that. That's important to understand. He was free not to be gracious. And he would have been completely just in not being gracious. He gets all... In other words, God saves you not be, because your faith is great, but because his great grace is great. Not because your faith is great, but because his grace is great. It's greater than all of our sin. We sing about it. It's freely by his grace. Thirdly, also it's sovereign. Because God exercises it toward and bestows it upon those whom he pleases. It says in Romans 5, and that's interesting, we read that this morning. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. We find that grace reigns. In other words, if grace reigns, it is on the throne. And the person who is on the throne is king. He's sovereign. And hence we have the throne of grace in Hebrews 4. Exodus 33, 19. He says, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you and I will be, God says, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show compassion, compassion on whom I will show compassion. God is sovereign. We need to see that it's a gift. It's a free gift. Can't be earned, bought, or anything. Here's a quote by A.W. Pink. He says, But nothing more riles the natural man. And by the way, we still have the natural man. So it can rile us, is what he's saying. Okay? You have the old man and the new man. The old man does not like God being in charge. That's why we bow up. That's why we want to be in charge. That's, I'm an American. You know, I'm a hard worker. I'm going to work my way because we like to be in control. Anyway, he goes, but nothing more riles the natural man and brings to the surface his innate enmity against God than to press upon him the eternality, the freeness, and the absolute sovereignty of divine grace. That grace cannot be earned or won by any efforts of man. It's too self-emptying for self-righteousness. See, we're all self-righteous, and we want to take credit. We want to take credit for what God is doing. And that grace singles out And that grace singles out whom it pleases to be favored objects, arouses hot protest from haughty rebels. 
the clay rises up against the potter and asks, Why have you made me like this? He says, A lawless insurrectionist dares to call into question the justice of divine sovereignty. You see, that's our, that's our flesh that rises up against God and says, I don't like that. Your flesh doesn't like that. I can tell you right now, my flesh doesn't like that. I've got a better way. You know, I'd be gracious to everybody. No, the truth is you wouldn't be gracious to anybody. Are you now gracious <laughs> to people? And that's only done through the power of the Holy Spirit that enables you to be gracious to people. But you see, God is gracious. He would be gracious if he saved one person. He'd be gracious. But it's a multitude that no man can number. That's how gracious he is. And he receives all that come to him. So be careful. And I say this because at one time I was against this. It made me angry. Uh, And I would tell people, if that's the way God is, I can't love him. And if you believe that, you're lost. I mean, that's where I used to talk to my roommates at, at school. And, uh, but I was wrong because I was shaking my fist in the face of God and saying, well, you see, God, this is the way it is. Because we, in our minds, we create a God that we like, not the one the Scriptures teach. Right? In other words, you create a... And you don't like the God of the Scriptures... The wrath of God? Oh, no, no, our God is loving. No, it says that he hates sin and that sinners who have not trusted his his only son will go to hell. Well, I don't like that. My God isn't that way. He loves everybody. You see, it's it's interesting, the God that we can create in, uh, in our own minds. But anyway... We also see that this grace is immediate. In, in verse 6 of Ephesians 1, he said it's bestowed, past tense. And then it's also complete. Psalm 103, verses 10 through 14, is complete. And uh, our sin is gone. Our sin is gone. Do you realize your sin is gone? Why? Because you're complete in Christ. His grace is sufficient. His grace. Not your, not your obedience. Not your, because we fail every day. But I live out of the grace of God. I just think about the grace of God and I go, Hallelujah for your gracious grace that forgives a sinner like me every day when I sin against you in thought, word, and deed. You see, because that kind of God we can be we can, we can come to Him and be who we really are. Why? Because our sins are already forgiven. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Aren't you glad? Can you say amen to that? Because if He dealt with me according to my sins, brothers and sisters, I would not make it. I would not make it. Nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Don't you, in other words, you don't want justice. You know. Well, I deserve it because I'm such a good person. No, you don't want uh, 
to be God to be just. You better plead mercy, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As here we go, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame, he is mindful that we are but dust. We serve a gracious God, a forgiving God, a loving God. Now, that's the introduction. And I'm not kidding. Because now we come to the real meat. And that is, after knowing what grace is, what should we be doing about it? It's praising Him. That's what it says. Does it not? Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Why? Paul understood it wasn't anything about Paul at all. He was killing Christians. He was... He was doing everything. He could destroy Christianity. Christ came to him on the Damascus Road and, wow, did a number on him. But it was all Christ. Nothing in Paul. Nothing in Paul. Nothing in Paul. Nothing in you. It's all God. He gets all the glory. Give him all the glory and praise. As Hagee says, and I like that. Not to be praising is to stand in opposition to God's purpose in redemption. Did you see there? He says that it's in Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. According to the riches of His grace, we have We've been redeemed. We've been bought. All of our sins are in the past. They're forgotten. They're forgiven. They're gone. So what are you going to do? Well, you know, I'm sure glad that I saw this. And uh, I'm smarter than the average guy on the, you know, if they had just lived a better life and had better parents than pride, that's all that is. That's selfishness. That's I'm great. And as Yogi Bear used to say, and I've said this before, I'm smarter than the average bear. (laughs) Yeah, God got a good catch when he got me. That's exactly right. No, it's by grace. And that should bring praise from us. So Paul gives us the why, the why of our chosenness, of our Christian existence. Why are we born again? To what end have we been adopted into his family that we have been given an inheritance? Why? To the end that the glory of God's grace might be praised. That's it. I hope you'll see in this sermon a new brilliance to that diamond of grace. A new brilliance. You know, diamonds are are brilliant. And then if you really clean them and see, can see, they even get more brilliant. And I want you to see how great is God's grace. And I want you to live there. 
And I want you to thank him and praise him, every, not just on Sunday. Every day when you get up, just, God, I know I'm here by your grace. I, I praise you, Lord. I praise you for your glorious grace in saving me and adopting me and forgiving me and all of the, what he's done for us. Everything and all things are in him and through him and to him, to the glory of his grace. Wow. So what happens? So what do we do? And I've touched on this. The old man gets in the way. The old man doesn't want to give God glory and praise. Because the old man uh, likes to grumble. He likes to complain. He likes to blame God. That's what the old man does. He blames God for everything. That's our old nature. But what does is, what is the writer to the Hebrews say? Fix your eyes on yourself. No, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author, the creator, and the finisher of what? Your faith. He starts it, he, he will bring it along, and he is going to complete it. He's the author and finisher of, of your faith. And so give praise and glory to him. Wow. And what will happen? What will happen? In Romans 5, 5, And the hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within your hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Holy Spirit was given to you. It's a gift. The gift of the Holy Spirit. The love of God is going to be poured out within your hearts. Wow. You see, also we see in in Psalm 40, and you might say, what does have to do with any of it? But he says, the psalmist says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me. He heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction giving him the glory out of the miry clay. And he, he, notice, he, 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 he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. You know what's going to happen when that happens in your life? Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. That's what's going to happen when you see the brilliance of grace and you proclaim how glorious God is for saving wretch, wretches like all of us are. That's our God. He is a good God, and uh, He loves us just that much. Let me just say in closing how much, and ask you a question, and, and myself, because remember the three fingers when I point a finger pointing back at me. How much are you praising God? How much do you praise God? Does a, an hour go by? Does a day go by? Does a week go by? How much time goes by in your life when you should say, Lord, I praise you for your glorious grace. Because you know what? If you've been a sinner 
who has been saved by grace is glorious. And it's going to be glorious to you because you know that God has had mercy on a rotten, terrible sinner like you and you will praise his name for it. Let's pray. Father, uh, this is too glorious really to uh, completely and fully comprehend. That's how glorious you are, Lord, that you would save wretches like us. Uh, As we sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Lord, help us to see that in Christ you love us, you care for us, because it's all about you, Lord and what you're doing and have done and will do in our lives. Lord, help us to praise you, to praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.